Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for uh, just an opportunity to share with the guys and continue to walk through uh, the, um, the ideas of uh, really uh, biblical manhood. What does it mean to be a man according to your word? And as we've looked through uh, your word and we've looked through 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14 and uh, seeing the, um, the five pillars, God, as we continue in pillar number four today, uh, of being strong, uh, let us as men uh, learn. Uh, how to navigate um, well uh, the idea of both being strong uh, in our faith and in our walk, but also at the same point being sensitive in our family and our spiritual uh, sensitivity to you, God, your spirit as uh, you lead us. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, if you are new or if you're new listening online, whatever it is, uh, we, uh, we are doing the five, biblical, uh, five pillars of biblical manhood, all from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. And here are the five pillars. Uh, if you remember them, be on guard. We've done that. Stand firm in your faith. We've done that. Be courageous. We've done that. We're in the middle of be strong. And in each one of these, uh, I have uh, looked at the, uh, the negative and the positive. Uh, like in the first one, uh, what does it look like when we are not on our guard? And then what, do we look, what does it look like when we are on our guard? Uh, what does it look like, number two, when we don't stand firm in our faith? What does it look like when we stand firm in our faith? And then right on down the line. And last week, uh, we looked at the beginning of pillar number four, which is uh, be strong. Uh, and we really looked at Peter, James, and John, uh, probably Jesus' inner circle. And we looked at them in a season of life where they were absolute failures, where they failed miserably. And, you know, there are times in our life, in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual journey, uh, that we fail. Uh, but the beauty of the gospel is we can get an o- another opportunity if we won't shrink back, if we'll just uh, begin to walk with Christ and walk in God's Word, walk with the church, walk with the people uh, surrounded, uh, surrounding us that will lift us up, uh, we can have a comeback. And so last week we looked at that idea of, uh, of Peter, James, and John, as much as we think uh, so greatly about them now, uh, there were seasons in their life where all three of those guys failed and failed miserably. If you remember last week, we looked at three specific instances. One is uh, Jesus, after he instituted the Lord's Supper, after he washed the disciples' feet, he went out to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, when, they, when, he, when he went to pray, uh, he took all the disciples out there. Then he set some of the disciples aside, took those three a little further, his trusted three, Uh, And he said, you guys stay right here and pray and stay alert and be on your guard. And then it says Jesus went a little further along and he prayed. After he had finished praying, came back, what were the guys doing? They had fallen asleep. He woke them up and said, hey, guys, couldn't you just stand here and uh, couldn't you just stay here and pray just a little bit? I mean, just pray a little bit and watch because Jesus knew what was about to happen. Then Jesus goes off again. He comes back, finds those guys out again. Then he just goes away, comes back, wakes them up and says, all right, thanks, guys. Thanks for watching out and being on your guard. Uh, now let's go because the, the, uh, uh, the one who is betraying me, the betrayer, uh, is at hand. And sure enough, Jesus was, was betrayed right there. And so we looked at the idea that Jesus had told them to pray and be on their guard. Well, they weren't. And guess what? Uh, we, we see exactly what happened. They fell asleep. And a lot of times we aren't strong because we fall asleep. We're not on our guard. Uh, some temptations, some struggles, some hurt, some heartache, uh, some past sin uh, that seeps back into our life, uh, which is exactly what Satan wants us to do as soon as we lower our guard. Then we, uh, so we said first, man, 
not being strong in our faith is when we're not on our guard. Uh, when our guards aren't up and Satan can attack and uh, can come back in. Then we also said, man, they weren't on their guard. They, they were not there uh, for Jesus when it counted. Remember, after Jesus was taken, when he was, um, uh, when he was uh, being beaten and falsely accused, the disciples weren't there. The disciples weren't there, and they weren't strong at all. And then the next thing we looked at uh, is being strong. Uh, you fail when you're being strong is when someone actually challenges you about your faith and about your relationship with Jesus that you uh, back away from. And we looked at Peter, and Peter, remember, was asked, weren't you with him? And he said, no, no, I wasn't with him. Didn't you know him? No, I didn't know him. And one person said, yeah, yeah. It says a girl, a little girl said, no, you were one of his disciples. And he said, no. And, and the truth is we're not strong when we shrink back from our relationship with Christ and our followership of Christ. And so that was the negative side of those three guys. And if we aren't careful, we can fall asleep. We can not be on our guard and Satan can take us out with some sin uh, that can move back in our life. Uh, we can we can be weak in our faith and not be strong when we can't be counted on, when other men need us, when our church needs us, when our family needs us, when uh, other guys for the gospel need us. Uh, when, when you can't be counted on and you're not there, then uh, you're not being strong. And then finally, number three, uh, is uh, when you're challenged. And, and we will all be challenged, I believe, more and more. We will be challenged in our faith at some point, some season in our life. The question for you, are you going to stand firm? Well, those are three guys, Peter, James, and John. Um, they were not just believers. They were disciples. They were not just disciples. They were Jesus' closest disciples. And those three disciples, those inner circle of Jesus failed. And if they can fail, you and I can fail. But the beauty of the gospel is if they can fail and come back, so can you. If they can fail and come back, so can you. And so that's my encouragement as we look today. And so that, now we're going to look at the positive. We've looked at, uh, in each one of these, uh, the, uh, a biblical example of failure. And so today we want to look at all three of these guys and look at the biblical example of what it means to see sweet victory even after an amazing failure. And so if you pick it up in John chapter 21, uh, this is where we're going to go. This is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and, and kind of all the disciples have kind of gone back to what they used to do. Man, just the fishermen have gone back to fishing. I guess the tax collectors have gone back to collecting taxes. Just everybody's gone back to doing their own thing because the man they had followed, the man they had given up work and family and career to follow, has been nailed to a cross, has been uh, buried in a tomb, and now has risen again the third day. And they really had no purpose in life. And there are times and seasons that we don't have purpose in life. And so um, I want you to know this. Failure is never final. Uh, that is the thing that you and I need to understand. If, uh, uh, if there was a season past that your family couldn't count on you, but they can count on you now, failure is never final. Maybe you're in, in between those seasons when you failed your family, uh, but you've not yet or they've not loved you or, or forgiven you. I want to encourage you, just be ready 
because your failure is never final. There's going to be an opportunity where you're going to get the opportunity to redeem yourself. If your church has been uh, not been able to count on you in the past, failure is never final. They can count on you now. You just stand up and say, you know what, uh, not really a big fan of that or don't like think like the idea of doing that or, man, but I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to, I'm going to be there. If, uh, somebody else, a friend, uh, a friend you can think back in your past that you weren't there for a friend when it counted, uh, then uh, I want to encourage you. Failure is never final. Be there. There, uh, for someone else. And so that's the beauty of what we see in John chapter 21. This is Jesus actually going back to the guys that were not there when it counted, the guys who did not stay alert and were not on their guard, the guys who, when confronted with simply a relationship with him, denied it. And so that's what we pick up in John chapter 21. And notice what it says. Let's pick up reading verse 15. And when they had finished eating, this is Jesus had come over, had walked up, the, the, the disciples had been out fishing. Jesus said to Simon Peter, now, I, I think it's interesting that he speaks to Simon Peter first, all right? Why does he do that? Well, because if you remember the story, uh, it was Simon Peter that was speaking to Jesus last. When all the disciples had been through everything and Jesus said, listen, you're all going to fall away, it was Simon Peter that looked around in the midst of the disciples and said, Lord, even if all these other guys... You're closest of the closest. All these other disciples, even if they follow you, or even if they fall away from you, I will follow you, but not just follow you to the death. And, and Peter actually says, if these guys, he's pointing at those other disciples, and Jesus looks at him and says, if you had any idea what Satan is about to do to you and how you're about to fail, uh, you wouldn't be saying these things to me. And so Jesus told him, listen, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. So Jesus shows back up, and so he's right back into Peter's face, all right? And he says, hey, Peter. And so it says this. It says, Simon Peter, uh, Simon son of John, uh, do you love me more than these? The key there is these, all right? Let's start there. Do you love me more than these? What is he saying? He's kind of reminding. He's literally twisting the knife, Right? Because Simon had just said, even if all of these guys reject you, fall away, don't stand up for you, I'm your guy. And so Jesus goes back and hits him at the point of his pride, right? And so he's kind of twisting the knife to remind Peter, remember your words, Peter. You told me you love me more than all of these guys. And so Jesus goes right back, looks him in the eye, and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? All right? What a stinging thought. Right there in front of the disciples, well, you think, golly, Jesus, couldn't you have called him off to the side and just asked him that question in private? Hey, Simon, do you love me more than these guys? Well, why did Jesus do that? Because Peter had thrown all those guys under the bus in front of Jesus and told Jesus, I love you more than these guys. And so Jesus hits him at that point. He says, Simon, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord. He said to them, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything or you know all things. You know 
that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, you really can't see it in there, but Jesus does change in the original language. He changes the word that he uses uh, for love. Uh, you can't see it in there. He moves from a, a agape to phileo. He moves from a, the, the un, unconditional, sacrificial agape love, which Peter, Peter had said about Jesus earlier. He says, I, I'm the only one that really can love you back the way you love me. Now he says, Peter, do you love me like a brother? And he goes, yeah, I love you like a brother. And notice also that Peter is not saying, he's saying, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And notice that Peter's response now in humility after his brokenness, he's saying, Lord, uh, I don't love you more than these guys. I just love you the best I can. And I want that to grow. And so in each one of those cases, notice what Jesus told, told Peter. He said, feed my lambs. He said, take care of my sheep. Then he said, feed my sheep. For every one of us in this room, we need to understand if we're going to be strong in our faith, it's going to mean that we are feeding someone else, that we are taking care of someone else. I want you to know that God's ultimate design for every, every guy in this room is not that you would wear spiritual diapers the rest of your life, that someone else would be feeding you, someone else would be taking care of you spiritually, someone else would be doing stuff for you. But instead, if you're going to be a man, part of being a man biblically is that we are feeding others, we are taking care of others, and we are caring for others. Does that make sense? Now, that doesn't mean because some of you in here might say, you know, I'm just, I'm not a speaker at work. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a speaker anyway. That's just not who I am. I'm a worker. Let me tell you what. You can be a worker and you can feed somebody. You can take care of somebody without standing up and teaching a Bible lesson. You can serve in the church. You can serve in a ministry. You can do something. You can sacrifice. You can give. There are lots of ways you can care for other people. Man, and in this, Jesus was saying, all right, Peter, now that your pride has gone away, and we can even look through the book of Acts that there are times that Peter's pride comes back in. It shows back up. And you remember Paul at a certain point has to call him out on him. Look, you're arrogant, Peter. You need to be humble again and remember the grace of God in your own life. Stop walking around uh, pretending that you're a Pharisee in front of all these Christian Gentiles who just came from a different background and they didn't grow up with a long spiritual heritage. He goes, you just need to get off your high horse. And so there, there are probably certain sins in our lives, my life, and your life, that, that are always going to creep back to the top. But you and I need to understand that part of being strong in our faith, part of being a man biblically, is that when we are walking with God and we are right with God, there will be people around us that we care for, that we feed, and that we take care of. How many of you understand that? All right. Obviously, they're in your family, but that's not where it stops. It starts with your family, but it doesn't stop in your family. It should bleed over into your relationships, into your friendships, into those people you work with, into people in your church. Uh, it should bleed over in a lot of ways. So I want you to know, if you think of your life and, and you can't think of one instance, either in service or word or sacrifice or giving, where you are caring for other people spiritually or you are caring for other people, taking care of other people biblically, then you need to step up your game. I need to step up my game. Does that make sense? And, and, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to define that for every guy in this room. 
because everybody has different gifts and different talents and different abilities, but there needs to be something. And I will tell you, there are people on Sunday morning, they're faithful. They don that, that, that beautiful yellow uh, vest. We put them out in the parking lot and they park people. Let me tell you what, they're feeding sheep. I want you to know they're feeding sheep. They have no desire maybe to be up on the stage or to ever be in public view. And that's okay. Uh, how many of you saw the video that my wife and I uh, did did for Mother's Day? Um, my wife does not like being in public eye. She doesn't. I mean, for me to get her to, and I, she's phenomenal when she is. She's amazing when she is. But I have to literally twist her arm to to put her uh, in front of a camera or get her up on stage or sometime when there's a 20th anniversary or something, they say she's got to come up on stage with you. Okay. That's just not who she is. She would rather teach her little life group right down here. Most of the ladies in there, uh, not all of them, but many, many times they've been through divorces or they come, come alone or they, something like that. Uh, that's her heartbeat. That's what she loves. She is a mercy shower. She's a compassion person. That's who she is. She's a background person, but she does feed that way. So don't think that, that, that the, the only person in the church that feeds somebody is me because I teach or your life group teacher or whatever. Man, you, you can feed people just by serving them. Shane, did you bring the donuts today? You did. Are you taking credit for it? Did you really do it? Okay, good. You, I wanted. I wanted to leave. You know, you can. Okay, good. You can never. It always requires at least two witnesses to confirm anything that comes out of Shane's mouth. But just serving, I mean, just making something happen. How many of you would prefer to have donuts in here than not? How many of you, your doctors, would say we'd prefer you not have donuts? Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are things that you can do. You can serve somewhere in church. You can serve your family. You can love your family. You can take care of them. So it starts right there. If you think of your life and you're coming out of a failure, maybe your whole life spiritually has been a failure. I want you to know if your whole life spiritually has been a failure, Here's the good news. Jesus is all about you. He didn't die on the cross for the good dudes. He died on the cross for sinful men, which is every one of us. He died on the cross for men that blew up their relationships and sometimes blew up their kids and blew up their own character. and blew. That's who Jesus Christ died on the cross for. And so, God, I just want you to know, when you begin that walk, Jesus is going to look at you and ask the same question. Do you love me more than these? And hopefully you'll say, Lord, no. There are certainly a lot of people that love you, Jesus, more than I do. Are you better than other people? The answer needs to be no. There are probably a lot of people that are way more spiritual and way better than I am in my faith. But if Jesus said, hey, will you, will you take care of some of my sheep? The answer needs to be yeah. Could you feed them from time to time? Yeah. Could you use what I've given you, the service, the opportunity, the ministry that I've given you, just the talents and the gifts, the same ones you use at the office, just use them at church. The same things you say at the office and you lead people, go lead your family. And your response might be, well, they're not going to listen. They might not now. You just keep leading. You keep loving. You keep caring. They'll fall in line.
So thought number one is this. Failure is never final, guys, when you think about sweet victory and you look at Peter. So let me just roll through. Now let me talk about Peter and John. Remember I said Peter, James, and John, all three, the last time we had seen them before this, were failures. Turn over, flip over a couple of pages from John. Go to Acts chapter 3. So now it's just going to be Peter and John. In Acts chapter 3, and they're both recovering from a failure uh, in their life. Acts chapter 3, pick it up, verse 1. So now you've got, in Acts chapter 2, if you don't remember, Peter uh, preached at Pentecost. Thousands were saved. They were baptized. Uh, If you want to read a beautiful chapter, go read Acts chapter 2, all of chapter 2, how Acts chapter 2 ends, is, is thousands were saved, and it says all those who believed were baptized. And, and if, you, if you're wondering, that is the biblical order. Belief and salvation, they are repent, you accept Jesus Christ, then you're baptized. You never see it the other way in Scripture. You never see baptism, then somewhere down the line we actually have salvation. It's always salvation, repentance, salvation, then baptism. That's, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. At the end of Acts chapter 2, then the church was formed, and they devoted themselves, just like you guys are doing today, to the apostles' teaching of breaking and bread, to fellowship, to praising God, to worshiping, uh, to giving, to sacrificial giving. And then Scripture says, and everyone around was in awe at what God was doing through the disciples. Now we jump into Acts chapter 3. So Peter and John are off the stage, all right? Sunday morning is over. Does that make sense? Pentecost, uh, the church is over. They've taken the offering. Uh, The Holy Spirit uh, has done His thing. The church has been started. So now you have Acts chapter 3, verse 1. This is not a Sunday morning. What I'm saying Sunday morning, it's not church time, all right? They're just strolling through life. It says one day, so it's just any day. So my prayer for you guys is just this would be your one day. And tomorrow would be one day. And the next day would be one day. That there would be a day that when you walk up and you encounter someone who looks like they need something from you, this would be your day, all right? That I'm going to begin to pour out. I'm going to begin to feed somebody. I'm going to take care of somebody. I'm going I'm to share with somebody. I'm going to feed somebody's lamb, all right? So it says one day, not any particular day, just says one day. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple uh, at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man uh, who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate at, uh, uh, that was called Beautiful, where he, had put, where, where he was put down every day so he could do what? So he could beg as people were going to the temple when he saw Peter and John uh, uh, about to enter. He asked them for some money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his full attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, now here's where we know it's a gospel thing, all right? This is where we know it's a gospel thing. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Now let me just stop you right there. I love the beauty of what is about to happen. Remember what Jesus told Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Care for my people. So guess what? Peter is walking down the road. This guy is a beggar. He's lame and he's a beggar. And what is he asking for? He's asking for money, all right? Now, Peter doesn't have money to give him. Why didn't he have money? Because he's a preacher. Trust me, I know about that. I can interject in that. He doesn't have money to give him. But what he does have is the gospel, right? He knows Jesus Christ, that same Jesus that he denied before the crucifixion. 
is the same Jesus that encountered him on the side of the lake and put him back into service. So let me tell you what, that which he received from Jesus, he was now willing to give to someone else. He says, I don't have silver and gold to give you, but what I do have you is a man named Jesus of Nazareth who has overcome the cross, has gone through the grave, and is now alive and seated at the right hand of the Father. All right, the Holy Spirit has come. The gospel is real. It has been made real in my life, and my prayer is that right now, through me simply trying to touch you and love you and care for you and feed you, that God would use me to feed you, to tend to you, and to care for you. And so he says, what I do have, I give you. Now, that's important. Peter has embraced the idea that we, can, we should be able to embrace also. Whatever you have, guys, if you've got the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life and you have salvation, you have enough to help somebody else. I want to say that again. If you've got the gospel and if you've got Jesus Christ in your life, you've got enough to help someone else. You, have, you don't have to spend three years on Seminary Hill. You don't have to spend three years in some sort of training. You don't have to go off to a desert and a monastery somewhere and read all the books of the Bible back, forward and backward and then Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You don't have to do all of that. If you've got the gospel, you already have enough to help someone else. If you do, you do. That's all you have to have. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to grow in your faith because you want to grow in your faith. I'm not saying you want to learn more doctrine. You want to learn more doctrine. I'm not saying you don't want to get better at communicating and being sensitive. We all need to grow, right? I want you to know, and I want you to hear me well. 23 years ago, I started as a pastor. Man, in some ways, um, hopefully, I'm way better than I was 23 years ago. If I'm not, I am the worst learner in the world. But I will tell you, and you got a couple of guys right back there that, that I'll tell there is so much more for me to do and learn. I don't feel like I've come close. And that is the beauty of the gospel. The more I learn about the God's Word, the more I read and study God's Word, the more I do, the more I realize, man, Lord, let me walk with you. Let me walk with you. Let me walk. Give me another 25 years. Give me another 30 years. Give me another 40 years. And, you know, and, and, and some, yeah, that, that's just, we, if you've got Jesus Christ, you've got enough. I want you to know that, guys. I don't want you to sit here and say, you know, but yeah, but here's where I was the last six months and last three weeks and whatever. whatever. I don't care. If you're a believer, you've got someone. You've got something you can give someone else. So as we read on, now I love this. And so here it is. Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and, feet and ankles became strong. So what do you have the ability to give someone else? Somebody else that is down, you have a right hand to reach out and pick them up. Make them strong. When they can't stand up on their own, you lift them up. Guess what he's doing? He's feeding. He's tending. He's teaching. He's caring for it. Does that make sense? Where you are in your faith right now, you may not be able to verbalize the whole gospel from front to back and back to front. You may not be able to speak Greek or Hebrew. Do you have a right hand? Can you pick somebody up? Can you walk by someone that's discouraged, a little down and out, that they're struggling a bit? Can you reach your hand out and pick them up? I, I think you can. I've seen every one of you guys get a donut. 
you are fully capable of tending and loving someone. Doesn't take a word, but a word, if you don't know any other word, hey, dude, I'm not a trained counselor. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Someone's down. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't even tell you I know everything that's going on in your life, everything you're feeling, everything you're seeing, everything you're sensing. I don't have enough silver and gold to fix the problem, the struggle that you're going through. But you know what I do have? There's my right hand. I'm going to help you up. And, 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 and as your feet and your ankles spiritually get stronger and stronger, I'm going to walk with you down the road until you're strong enough to keep walking on your own. Now, we're going to maintain our friendship, but guess what? You're going to go use your right hand, and you're going to help someone else up while I go help someone else up. We're going to stay connected. But that's what being strong is all about. Does that make sense, guys? So now you have Peter and, uh, Peter and John that are get together, and I, I love that. Help someone up. That's being strong. When I am strong enough in my faith to stand up and help someone up, then look at verse 8. I love that. And he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts and walking and jumping and praising God. Now he went from uh, lost to being a total charismatic. It was kind of crazy. Can you imagine that? There were probably some in there going, hey, easy now. You know, step back. Put your hands down. Hey, just let, let, pe let people worship. You know, if, if someone next to you raises your hand, we, we have that, and that, that conversation comes up from time to time. Though Someone will come up and say, hey, Pastor, you know, people are raising their hands in, uh, in our church. And I said, well, they did in the Bible, so it's okay. They did. Look at this dude right here jumping around. Now, when they go jump, jump around, let's, let's keep a little bit of an eye on them. But here's the reality. That's, that's what the joy of the gospel does. And when someone gets off their back, really understands a risen Savior, that is something to cheer. Man, that, that is something to cheer. Now, as you continue to read on, he says he jumped around and said, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same dude that was always sitting at the temple gate called Beautiful Begging, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Man, so now you see Peter working. Now, jump down. You want to talk about these guys who, who, who were not there. They were not on their guard. They were not there when they counted, and they were not there when they were confronted. They, they were weak in their faith. Look to Acts chapter 4. Just go one chapter over. Peter and John now not are just helping some lame beggar. Uh, they're also what? They're, th they're being willing to throw into throw, be thrown into prison for their faith. That's being strong. So you pick it up in verse 1, it says, The priest and uh, the captain of the temple and the guard uh, and the Sadducees, I'm in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, uh, came, up, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming that Jesus, uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John. So, all right, now these guys, remember, these guys who just a few days before couldn't stay awake, couldn't be counted on uh, when they were needed by Jesus. And when they were confronted, they walked away. 
Now these dudes have been seized, all right, uh, because they were preaching about Jesus Christ. They were seized, Peter and John, uh, because uh, it was evening, and they put them into jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message, so number, uh, so the number of many believed uh, to about 5,000. So Pentecost had exploded. Gospel is continuing to explode. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, high priest, was also there. Uh, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power... And what name do you do all of this and preach all of this? Look at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. Now, that had been a good opportunity for Peter to reflect back, say, Listen, you know, Jesus went before these same guys and ended up nailed to a cross. Might, might want to tone down my rhetoric just a little bit, right? That was the Peter before the crucifixion and the resurrection. The Peter after the crucifixion and the resurrection is a different Peter. He's not gripped by fear. He's not worried about his own fate. He is willing to be strong. He's not going to shrink back when someone confronts him about his faith and about his testimony. It says, verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame um, uh, and then was healed, he goes, then this. He says, then know this, verse 10, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that is, his, that is this man, uh, that is why this man stands before you today healed. Jesus uh, is, listen to this, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then look at verse 12, for salvation is found in no one else's name, for there is no other name under heaven and on earth that mankind can be saved. Now, let me just paint a picture for you. Here's what happened. These guys called them into account. Now, Peter kind of calls them on the carpet. There are a lot of people when they confront you. They're going to confront you about some roundabout things, okay? They're going to talk, well, I don't like what the Bible teaches uh, about this kind of relationship or same-sex marriage or this or that. They'll beat around the bush. They'll say, you know, what What about this and what about that? You know, what about, what about the preacher who falls? Or, you know, they're beating around the bush. And this is what these guys were doing. They're beating around the bush. So Peter drives to the heart. And if you ever want to drive to the heart, if someone begins to confront you about your faith and they begin to talk about the Bible, you just go to the heart of it. Say, listen, is this your problem? Is the real problem? We can dance around out here in the outfield all the time. We can, we, you, we can pick flowers in right field like kids do in t-ball. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? It'd be good if your kids would just stop looking at their feet and know there's a ball somewhere, Right? where you can stand, and a lot of people, they want to take you out and pick flowers in your faith. But let me tell you what. If you pick that flower, they're going to have you pick another flower, and they're going to have to pick another flower. Here's what it comes down to right here. All right? He goes, let me ask you a question. Is your problem that I am preaching there is salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ? Boy, let's quit talking about the lame man walking because everybody should celebrate that. I don't care who did that. Everybody should celebrate that. That was their problem. He said, this Jesus who you nailed to a cross, you couldn't keep in the tomb. That's what we're talking about, right? All right, that's what we're talking about. And that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ. He goes, that's right. What is he doing? He's taking them right to the heart of the matter. He's saying, I'm not going to sit here and dance around and mamby-pamby in my faith. 
Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again the third day. All the witnesses saw it. The Spirit of God has fallen. The church is beginning. And we're not scared because I've seen it with my own eyes. I watched the guy nailed to a cross. I watched the guy who you falsely accused. He turned and looked at me the last time I denied him. That same Jesus came to me after the resurrection, showed my buddy Thomas, who had been with him forever, who doubted to the end, showed my buddy Thomas the scars in his hand, the scars in his feet, and the scars in his side. It was him. He said, guys, there's really not much you can do to me that you didn't do to him. And the faith that I have in him says whatever you did to him, the same outcome will be for me. That whatever tomb you have me in, I will be resurrected again. That's moving from failure to a strong faith. And then if you jump down and uh, jump down to verse 18, and just in a matter of time, I'll jump down to verse 18. Then they called them in. So they told Peter and them not to go preach again. Guess what? These guys go and they go out and they go preach again. And then notice what happened. This will be online, guys, this afternoon. Uh, you can hear the end of it. And so here's what it is, verse 18. It says, then they called them in again. This is John and Peter. They said, listen, here's what we're going to do. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John, all right? Guys, after a failure, you and I need to be some but Peter and John's, right? Man, I failed, but God still has a plan. I love that word, but. You look at it in the original language. For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here it is. Peter and John were failures. They didn't stay on their guard. They weren't there for Jesus when it counted. They were weak when they were confronted. But Jesus has a new plan. Those who are weak can now be strong. Those who lost their guard or let their guard down can now have their guard raised. Those who couldn't be counted on can now be counted on. Look at this. Here's what it says. He says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? What is he saying? Is it right in God's eyes for me to listen to you or to him? He says, you be the judges, but as for us. And notice, and you might want to circle that in your Bible. Circle that word us. There are times that we have to stand alone, but guys, we will always be stronger together. I'm going to say that again. There are times in our faith that we have to stand alone, but we will always be stronger together. And you say, what do you mean? I'm fixing to show you here in a second because Peter warns you about it. So let me read on. He says, and for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and what we are heard. They are now strong in the Lord. If you jump down to chapter 5, I encourage you. I won't go there now. This is another example. Chapter 5, guess what? They get thrown in jail again. They get flogged. They get beaten. They get told not to preach again. Guess what they do? They went out there with stripes on their back, and they continued to preach the gospel. Now, remember I said Peter, James, and John. They were our examples of failure. We haven't heard about James yet, really. You go to Acts chapter 1 at the beginning. Remember when they're selecting a new disciple? Why are they selecting a new disciple? They had one go rogue. Who was the one that went rogue? Uh, it, was, uh, uh, it was Judas, right? So in Acts chapter 1, it says they selected a new disciple. It gives a list of disciples with the new disciple in Acts chapter 1. You see that James. Remember, James and John were the sons of thunder. 
you see him in John chapter 1. You see him in Acts chapter 1. You don't hear anything about James really the rest of the time. You know he's part of the disciples when he says, and the disciples did this, and the disciples did this. You know James, the other son of thunder, was there. Now John takes more of a premier place. Now, if you want to quickly run to Acts chapter 12, remember James we had seen as a failure. Uh, as he couldn't stay awake, he, he couldn't be counted on by Jesus, uh, and, and he wasn't there. But if you look in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, you see, you see John, James mentioned in Acts chapter 1. You see James mentioned now here in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, it says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intended to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, all right? Put to death with the sword. All right, so here's what we know is James came back and was faithful. He was a faithful follower. In other words, so much so that although he doesn't get the headline uh, that Peter and John do, we know that James was preaching the gospel. So much so that Herod took note of him, right? So he had once failed, now he's back on top. And so James, the brother of John, is, is preaching the gospel in such uh, open fashion that Herod chooses him as one of the disciples that he's going to put the sword through. Why? Because he also knows he was one of the original disciples. So James, who failed, came back and stood firm in his faith all the way to martyrdom. So he learned to be on his guard. He learned to be there when it counted, and he learned not to deny Christ in faith. Now, jump down. All right, here's where we are. So as we move along in Peter's life, Peter knows what it's like to deny Jesus. Peter knows what it's not like not to be uh, there when it's counted. Peter knows what it's like knows what it's like to not be on your guard. So turn to First Peter chapter five, and I want to show you this. In First Peter chapter five, Peter says, "Humble yourselves there under the mighty hand of God." that he may lift you up in due time. That's Peter's story. A lot of us, that is our story. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he, God, cares about you. Here it is, boys, right here. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter, who couldn't stay stay awake. Peter, who couldn't be on his guard. Towards the end of his life, with some of his last written words, talking to other men, he says, boys, I learned a valuable lesson. Stay alert. Be on your guard. Why? Because Satan prowls around like a roaring lion. What does a roaring lion do? He looks for someone to devour. What does that mean? Satan doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you, boys. He just sees you as fresh meat. He'll chew you up and he'll spit you out. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 10? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But to enjoy that abundant life, we've got to be on our 
guard. We've got to stay alert. That's some of Peter's final words. How many of you know how Peter was? Peter died? He was crucified upside down. Remember John chapter 21? If you've still got your finger there, jump back real quick. I want to show this to you quickly. You might not have known. Remember when Jesus put Peter back into service? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep, care for my sheep. Jesus also told him he was going to die. He said, you're going to die following me. And if you jump back, pick it up in verse 16. So this is after tend my sheep, care. Then if you pick it up in, uh, excuse me, verse 18, John 21, verse 18. It says, very, very truly I say to you, this is Jesus talking to Peter. He says, uh, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But you, when you were old, you will be stretched out. You will have your hands stretched out. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death in which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Peter, now you're ready to follow me? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, care for my sheep. And by the way, at the end of your life, someone else is going to dress you. What are they going to put the burying clothes on you? They're going to lead you to a place you don't want to go, a cross. And you're going to be nailed to the cross just like me. Then Jesus comes back and perhaps even harsher words than he had said earlier. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die. He goes, now will you follow me? Boys, Peter didn't show up in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 5, in Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 7, not knowing where he was headed. He knew someday this is going to be my last sermon. Someday this is going to be my last lame beggar. Someday it's going to be my last person that I'm going to be able to help up and give strong, knee, strong knees and strong ankles to. But until that last person comes... I'm going to preach Jesus and Him crucified. Guys, that's my encouragement for you. Now, in, in total Peter fashion, if you read on in that, this is total Peter fashion. Just read those verses. Peter turns and says, Lord, so I'm going to be crucified. All right? Now, guys, there, there is some humor in this. Peter looks at Jesus and points at John and says, well, what about him? How many of you know that's what Peter asked? He did. He did. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he said, all right, so I've got to tend, I've got to care, I've got to, and I'm going to have someone lead me to a cross. Now, Peter chose to be crucified upside down. And so Peter, in total Peter fashion, that's, what I, that's, that's the beauty of you guys in here. Man, you all come with your different personalities, your talents, your gifts, your everything. You're just different. Not everybody's the same. We'd be boring people if we were all the same. So please, don't go walk around trying to be like some monk or priest. Where you, um, let the one or two dudes that are that way be that way and be in a different church. Uh, I, I, like, I like living color. I mean, I like vivid dudes, all right? But Peter just finds out he's going to die, and so Peter says, what about him? You know what Jesus said? Hey, you worry about what I have planned for you. I'll worry about what I have planned for him. You know what his plan for him was? Is that someday he would be imprisoned, then he would be sent to exile on an island called Patmos. And he would die an old man. But God had to put him in exile, make him work in the mines at Patmos as an old man 
where God could show up and give him a vision, which we now know is the book of Revelation. Guys, I don't know what Jesus has planned for you in the end. I doubt anyone in here will be crucified. I'm pretty certain no one in here will be exiled. But every one of us can be strong. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to share with these guys. Pray that we would go out here today, be on our guard, be alert, because that Satan, like a roaring lion, is looking for someone to devour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless.